Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi, Julia. Hello, Katie. <laughs> Welcome to Act 1, Scene 7 of Playdate. We read Lifespan of a Fact this week. Um, is it a fact that you also read Lifespan of a Fact this week? It is indeed a fact, a fact. that I have read Lifespan of a Fact in my lifespan. And that is indeed a fact. <laughs> um, we're off to a great start. <laughs> we're doing well. Nothing but chaotic energy here at Playdate today. Yes. Um, w- let's get started with some trivia right off the bat. Um, do you want to go ahead first, Julia? Sure. I really, I stretched to make this relevant to this play, so. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which of the following news-related TV shows slash movies has Julia not seen? Okay. A, Spotlight. B, The Newsroom. C, The Post. Or D, Newsies. Uh, A. Incorrect. Uh, C. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's definitely, you've definitely seen the newsroom because you tell me to watch it every time you see me. It's a really good show. Everyone, <laughs> watch the newsroom. It's so good. And you majored in musical theater, so there's just no way that you haven't seen Newsies. I have such a love for not only the, the Newsies musical, but just that movie. Like Christian Bale's dancing <sighs> is a gift to mankind. Christian Bale is a gift to mankind. <laughs> Christian Bale is a gift to mankind. <laughs> and his, his rock and dance moves. And honestly, like, if this if this came out today, you know that, like, Jack and Davy would have been a thing. Yes. Because... Absolutely. Like, the I think her name is Sarah in the movie. She's stuck in there just to be a distraction. Like, the real love mm-hmm. story is Jack and Davy. No one can tell me otherwise. <laughs> And you're prepared to write a thesis on this topic. I, every time I watch this, like, there's a part. Okay, so there's a part. Everyone, this has nothing to do with our play, but just bear with me. (laughs) So there's a part where this man from the orphanage is, like, hunting down Jack Kelly. He's going to bring him back to the orphanage, right? And Davey, like, grabs him and says, it's Snyder! And then, like, Christian Bale can't hear him. So he grabs him by the collar and pulls him in and has his, like... (laughs) face right next to his ear and goes it's Snyder and it's the hottest thing I've ever seen in my life (laughs) wow that is the hottest thing you've seen in your life well that and the scene from Miss Fisher's murder mysteries where Jack and Franny kiss for the first time those are like my top two (laughs) the top two moments that's good to know good good Christmas gift ideas now everyone knows my my like tv show and movie recommendations (laughs) (laughs) they're good ones though i haven't seen the post yet and i oh it just looks absolutely incredible i know meryl's in it and yeah and tom hanks i mean those are like those are like arguably in my book fun fact in my book that is the best actor and actress that is alive currently in this time I feel like this is the most that we've learned about both you and i respectively in a trivia session (laughs) and we haven't even gotten to your question i know um well, that's a pretty good a good segue. Um, this has because this is about uh, writing this play. Mm-hmm. Um, I my question here is: uh, Kate has written many essays, as we all have. So, which topic have I not written about? Oh, I'm so ready for this. Okay, okay. A, the 2004 movie sensation Mean Girls. B. 
the classic Italian dinner entree, chicken parmesan. <laughs> See? Sees Sears uh, retail store. And D, uh, the American composer Milton Babbitt. Oh, my. All of these are delicious options, specifically the chicken <laughs> parmesan. Mm. Um, oh, my. I feel like you threw Sears in there to throw me off because I've told you a million times that you need to turn your rant about Sears into a monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say you haven't written an essay about Sears. I feel like that is your unfinished masterpiece. You would be correct. That is the one that <laughs> yes! I have not written anything on. I am so proud. So now you owe us. You owe us an essay about Sears. <laughs> you got it. For the time being, I'll just give you a short description. Sears retail store is terrible. Do not go there. Do not shop there. I have very strong feelings about Sears as a franchise. Um... If you want to know any further, you can email me at katefitzpat at gmail.com. <laughs> and I for sure will uh, get back to you on all of my uh, recommendations in regards to the Sears retail franchise. Dear listeners, Wonderful. one time okay. <laughs> I was wearing a pair of leggings in dance class. And Kate goes, where'd you get those? Those are cute. And I said, Sears. And I shit you not. She immediately went, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, the last time that I walked into a Sears, I went there to go get a bathrobe. I picked it up and the hanger just broke in my hand (laughs) as I picked it up. So Sears and I have a complicated, messy relationship. Um, It's complicated. It's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what my facebook would say why'd you have to go and make things so complicated Sears? <laughs> avril wants to know you crawl um, and you fall and you break <laughs> and you take what you get and you turn it into honesty <laughs> <laughs> classic 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 <laughs> looking to spice things up? Fitz by Spicy has everything you need. Their online boutique offers handcrafted sweatshirts, t-shirts, tote bags, stickers, beanies, and more. Made for all genders and body types, Fitz by Spicy helps you stand out from the crowd and support small business owners with high quality items and fast shipping. Follow them at Fitz by Spicy on Instagram or check them out on Etsy to find your perfect look and add a little extra spice to your life. Okay, Julia, why don't you tell our lovely listeners what play that we read this week? So we read a lovely little play called Lifespan of a Fact. It is actually based on a true story of John Degata's essay, What Happens There? The Lifespan of a Fact. The story follows Jim Fingal, who has a small job to fact-checked articles for one of the best magazines in the country. His boss has given him a big assignment to apply his skill to a groundbreaking piece by legendary author John Degata. But now Fingal has a huge problem. Degata mm. made up a lot of his article. What starts professional quickly becomes profane. Mm. And I got this off of Broadway.com. Wow. Citing my nice. sources. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it was really, it's really interesting. It's three character play. Yes. Um, 
and a pretty quick read for being like about I think the version we read was a hundred pages. Yeah. Um, and a pretty quick read for a hundred pages. Yeah, it's a pretty so. I feel like even though generally it's like a minute per page rule where let's say you have a 90 minute um script that means you're probably gonna have a 90 minute show i feel like this one might move along a bit faster than that because you Mm. really don't have to do much set wise to tell this story no no not at all arguably you don't really need much of any set other than the picture frame yeah Um, i honestly i feel like i'd have a table a picture frame and a couch and that would be just the whole set wow yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I don't think you need much more than that maybe I'd make this stage like look cool in terms of painting I know we're jumping right into design yeah we skipped over all of our thoughts everything (laughs) and we moved right down to design we'll put a pin in it we'll come back okay perfect okay we'll come back to it Okay, so a little bit about the playwrights here. Um, We actually have three people who helped co-write this play. Um, So first and foremost, I apologize for the absurd amount of mispronunciations that I'm going to have here. Um, That's something that I definitely think I should work on just as my own call to action, just to kind of get a little bit more familiar with playwrights and producers. Um, But I'm just going to give you a little bit of information about each of these three uh, fellas so that um, we don't take up too much time. But so first off, we've got uh, David Murrell, or Merle, um, worked off Off-Broadway, worked at the Access Theater, the Cleveland Public Theater, um, has written tons of screenplays, incru- including uh, Breed Ambassador, Chomper, The Cold Spot, Girl Gets Razor, Mission Uncomfortable, a radio picture, just tons and tons and tons. Um Born and raised in Staten Island, ended up graduating from the Stuyvesant High School and in the University of Chicago. Um, And Lifespan of a Fact is actually his first Broadway play. So uh, good for you, David Murrell. Murrell. Um, Next off, we've got uh, Gordon Farrell, who uh, was trained as a playwright at the Yale School of Drama and went to to work with uh, tons of major Hollywood studios, including, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, Columbia Pictures, and eventually ended up becoming a screenwriter as well uh, for these companies. He sold screenplays um, to Universal, Warner Brothers, MGM, ITC. I mean, you name it, and he's he's probably written for it. He's also worked in independent film, written and sold many projects to the New York City indie producer, Norman Twain. Um, And... He he seems to have had quite a quite a bit of, of writing under his belt as well. Um, from 2009 to 2013, he developed a trilogy of monologue plays for women called the Red Anthology. And I will say that this is something that I have read. And I used to, I remember reading these looking for material for college. Um, I didn't really know where to find material. And this was a great resource. So for anybody out there who is looking for any kind of audition material, it's a great place to start, um, especially if you're unsure of, of kind of how to find monologues yourself. Um, it's definitely worth the read uh, for sure. I had no idea that he wrote that, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then last but not least, we've got Jeremy Kerrikin, um, or Kerrikin, and he was born and raised in Rochester, New York, ended up graduating from the University of Chicago and the Actors Studio Drama School, um, and then worked went on to work for 20 years um, inside the actor's studio um, as the researcher, the associate producer, and then the producer. Um, 
just crazy, crazy. Done a lot of writing in other other aspects as well. Um, you know, writing, teaching, and consulting, which is crazy. Um, and co-wrote, obviously, this Broadway hit of Lifespan of a Fact. Um, ended up winning the John Gassner Award for New Plays from the Outer Critics Circle. Um, and they just had an absolutely amazing cast to work with here. Um, so, I mean, I remember hearing about this play when it was on Broadway and it got rave reviews. And I feel like with that, you know, group of of uh, playwrights, as well as with the wonderful Broadway cast that they had, I really am surprised that this play is is still kind of unknown to people, people like me who who haven't really read it up until you know, recording this, this podcast. So, um, you know, quite, quite interesting. I don't know what you, uh, what you think, Julia. So I I had a conversation recently with a a mentor figure in my life about a play that I was writing, um, where, you know, you have two characters who are on opposite sides of a question and they each are coming at it from their own perspective and their own life journey. And, um, I, I was saying to this mentor, I was like, I truly don't know who I side with. Mm. Like, if I had to pick, I don't think I could. Mm. And she was like, great. You have 90 minutes to have them battle it out for you. Yeah. Ooh, that's a cool way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like depending on a lot of people say with particularly like two-person things or three-person things like I think of marriage story is a pretty good example that a lot of people have seen um you know sometimes you watch that film and you side with Scar Jo's character right and other times you'll watch it and you'll side with Adam Driver mm-hmm. and that can change depending on you know your mood on the day you're watching it or perhaps like something that happened with you and your ex like that can right. impact things it's like the uh the dress yeah it's that the dress. infamous dress. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. this play takes, I think, what is drama at a very fundamental level. It's like, what is a fact? How? What does it mean to be factual? Mm-hmm. And just lets two characters battle it out. And then, you know, sometimes substitutes in a third party to be like, both of you need to calm down. Right, right. Which is Emily in this case. Yes. Um. Emily is the uh, the um, publisher here, the boss, the head honcho, the go-to guy. Um, and she is an interesting character herself. You know, I have I have down here in my notes that they make a specific note in the the um, the play that Emily's ringtone is "Ode to Joy," <laughs> and that stuck out to me. Because, first of all, I think, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but there's a, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that that is true and that their boss, Emily, in real life, um, does have that ringtone of Ode to Joy. So what does that say about Emily as a person or as a character, whether it be true or not, that their ringtone is Ode to Joy? Because I feel like, I feel like you can learn a lot from somebody about that. You know, kind of like you can learn a lot from somebody when you ask them, like, what's their go to song? Just like your favorite song, your favorite go to. What is it? I feel like you can learn a lot from somebody. So to put that as your ringtone, you have to, like, really have some strong feelings about it. So that makes me very curious about that character. I 
I love the fact that you brought that up because I feel like when when both of us attack a play, <laughs> attack a play, um, <laughs> I am a very, like, I'll read something and then I'll sit and I'll let my brain marinate in it and then I, like, think about the big picture. Mm-hmm. Like, I may not remember specific details, but I know how the thing made me feel and what it made me think about. And what I love about the way you read plays is that you are so detail-oriented Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing when you watch an acting performance, too. And I also appreciate that. Um, That's so fascinating. I never even really took that into consideration, how how different our methods are of reading. But you're you're right. I feel like you you kind of want to get the 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 point of what's happening. You want to get that message and the overarching, you know, ideas and connections between these characters. Um and I think I I read I read it like pretty I don't know like word for word in between mm-hmm. the in between the lines as I'm reading I guess but yeah. we we're doing the same thing in very different ways which is very cool it is cool I, it's just something I find interesting about like yeah the the two of us how we read because I mean it makes for good podcast material because yes, it does. <laughs> you'll pick up things that I don't pick on and stuff like that yeah oh yeah it makes it's me very happy. Cool. Um, I am so freaking glad that we are seeing a play with technology integrated into it. Yes. Um, because I have seen very, 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 very few plays, not musicals, plays. Mm-hmm. I'll repeat that. Not musicals, plays yeah. that integrate technology. And as much as like, you know, people who have grown up without it, you know, kind of are like, I wish we didn't have to deal with it all the time, which I, I kind of agree with. Um, regardless, technology is a part of all of our lives now, yes. whether you want it to be or not. And so um, I love the fact that for these plays that are trying to be as realistic as possible, that are are not trying to push the boundaries of people's imaginations, that we are seeing what is really happening in our world with, you know, emails and phones and television and all of that stuff. And I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. I never asked you, how did you first encounter this play? Um, Molly Conklin, who <laughs> is a lovely friend. Um, shout out to you, Molly, of uh, both of us that went to college with us. Um, has been telling me for years to read this play. And I never did because I'm terrible at reading. Um, but I, uh, yeah, that's the only history I have with this this play. I've, I've known the name of it for quite some time, but I never sat down to read it. How about you? It's funny because I, I forgot that I had heard about it already um, mm. because I'm a huge fan of Daniel Radcliffe because um, mm. of Harry Potter, obviously. But also he um, has chosen to use his childhood wealth to just, choose projects that he likes Mm, and um mm -hmm. i respect that a lot um and robert pattinson pattinson's done a similar thing where like they choose projects that really really excite them and because they have so much star power usually you know an indie film will get a bigger budget simply because they're attached to it and i feel like number one that's a really good way to bring exposure to filmmakers that may not you know, have a big business backing them up or a huge producer backing them up. And it like, I don't know, it feels like giving back in a way. And 
it's just interesting the kind of projects he chooses. And I remember he was talking about he was in New York doing a play and he was like, yeah, I play a fact checker. And <laughs> the talk show host was like teasing him a little about it. Like, oh, that sounds so interesting. And he's like, no, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I like I was like when when you were like, oh, we should we should read this. I was like, that name sounds familiar. Why do I know of it? And then I realized it was because of that interview. So, mm. so I, and now Daniel reading Radcliffe. it too, like he, he's so perfect for that role. Yeah, he is. That's yeah, a great role for him. Yeah, absolutely. It's got, he has the same vibe as like Jim Parsons and, you know, like all those people. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's got a beautiful, um, this character has a great combination of, of neurotic, you know, type <laughs> A, but also <laughs> just like true sensitivity. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people will write a neurotic type A character and not give them any sensitivity, even though mm. type A people tend to be very sensitive. Right. And so I always find that a little discordant when I'm, you know, reading or watching something. I'm like, why doesn't this person have any empathy at all? <laughs> <laughs> why are they just crazy and they just are so unempathetic un about everything? Uh, yeah. I'll have to do like a top 10 list of my favorite neurotic characters that actually have a lick of sensitivity <laughs> yeah i'll share it wow. with all of you it'll be great yeah we'll post a list on the instagram we will that's so funny but, um yeah there yeah. there were quite quite a few um quite a few things in here that i was like that literally stopped me in my tracks and i was like huh i never thought about that um so this is actually a question for you julia Emily, at one point in this show, asks Jim, what is story for you? Like, just what is, like, storytelling? What is a story? What is the story? What is story to you? Um, so, Julia, what is story to you? That's hard. Um, I want to take the Jim exit and just give you the textbook definition of story, but I won't <laughs> do that. Um For me, it is a thing that begins with a catalyst, goes on a journey, and finds closure, mm. whether that be open-ended or not. Because I feel like, you know, in media, things have to have a beginning, middle, end, because we need to sell them to people so they can ingest them. Mm-hmm. But in life, we tell stories all the time. And as humans, like, storytelling is innate with us. Like, the, did have you seen that thing that's going around Twitter um, that's like, can you imagine that women used to churn butter for hours and not listen to a podcast? <laughs> no, I haven't, but that's so funny. <laughs> well, someone responded to it and was like, women would gather in groups and churn butter together and swap stories or tell um, ghost stories or myths or folk tales. And that's, so yes, they were listening to podcasts. It was just right. in person. Yeah. They were just listening to live podcasts. Yeah. And so I feel like there are many things that can't be classified as, oh, a thing that has a beginning and a middle and an end. Because, for example, like, let's say you and I are getting lunch together and I'm like, oh, this thing has been going on with work and here's what happened and here's what happened and here we are now. The here we are now is the closure. 
Mm. Um, but or it is it a continuation of the story? I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like the, the stories to me are a lot like water, um, because you know you have your your streams that turn into rivers that flow into oceans and all that water goes up into the air and then gets rained back down and everything gets mixed and i mean someone's story is another person's backstory or another person's side character mm-hmm. or like you never realize we're jumping way into existential territory i'm so here for it, <laughs> but like, you never realize how the little things in your life can create ripples and then waves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I don't think as a society, we give enough credit to the waves that other people create for us. Mm. Because there's this, another thing on Twitter is like people wanting to be the protagonist (laughs) and being like, I am the protagonist. And I think that's a really great mindset because it means like, okay, like what am I going to do today? How is it going to make charge you feel? You're in charge of your own. You're in yeah, charge, you're of, in your charge story, of your own yeah. destiny. But I think often we don't give credit where credit is due where it comes to the side characters mm-hmm. or the best friend or the mentor figure or the crazy old man who waves at you when you walk down the street every day. Like you don't give those people as much um as much weight and significance because we live in this very consumer-driven, I-am-the-protagonist world. Individualistic. Yes. And I think people, not to mention, we have media that is telling us how to live. Like, did you ever do something as a kid simply because you saw it in a movie? 100%. 100%. I'm pretty sure that I, I... I d- licked, I put my tongue on on pretty much anything that was standing up, any stationary object outside in the middle of winter because solely of because story. of a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, like, there's so many things that we, and it's it's part of our brains, like, it's how our brains function, because we're like, ah, I see someone doing that, I must also do that. Um, And because of that way that we absorb media... Of course we want to be the protagonist, but right. then how often does that disconnect us from the best friend trope? Because mm-hmm. we're like, oh, but this person doesn't, their problems aren't as important as mine or whatever. You know, right. like we all fall into that trap of like, I'm not really listening to this person. Yeah. I'm not. I'm listening to respond. Yes. Yeah, Exactly. Or, like, I'm doing that active listening thing where I'm like, mm-hmm, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was a very long and complicated answer, but. <laughs> well, that's okay, because it's a it's a short but complicated question, so. Yeah. What, what do you think is a story? I don't know. You know, like, part of me is really agrees with Jim in a lot of this play um, because Jim really takes his job so seriously into fact-checking every single thing in this play, in this this essay um, article thing that John wrote. Um, and this particular 
you know, article. John prefers them to be called essays, but it's an article. Um, you know, it's about a, uh, a person, a child who, who jumped off of a roof and committed suicide. And for the sake of storytelling, John decided to kind of just fudge some things here and there to kind of make all of the drama um, escalate to the exact point it wanted to be in the story. And um, Jim took that and said, but you're making up facts. You're saying that this is a fact, but you made it up and you made it up for the sake of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I think it's kind of a bad story because it's not the truth. And in some cases, I agree, you know, like some cases I don't really care. But for me, I think a story can be one of two things. A story can be a distraction or it can be the truth. Um, And I, you know, there's a lot of gray in between there, but, you know, my life is a story, but it is a story that is grounded in truths. Everything that happens in my life, in my story is true um, because it has to be. I don't think all stories have to be true. I think that would be a pretty boring life to live in. But um, for me, where I am in my life right now, story is truth for me. And story is listening. And story is um, growing and expanding and learning. God, story is learning. Mm -hmm. Um, Learning absolutely everything you can. Um, Because believe it or not, you don't graduate college and know the answers to everything. Um, It just (laughs) doesn't happen. How easy it would be if we did. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like I remember, I remember when I was a freshman in high school thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm a senior and I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Then when I was a senior, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do when I go to college and I have to live alone. And then I was a freshman in college and I said, man, those seniors look like they have it all together. They know exactly where they're going, what they're doing, what job they're going to have, where they're going to live, what they're going to do, how much money they're going to make. And then we got there and I don't know the answers. And I feel like I'm going to be 50 years old and I'm still not going to know the answers. Um, I feel like you just have to figure it out and go. And the only way you can do that is to listen and learn and know that you are going to be wrong and know that you're going to make mistakes, and know that there's still a lot more to learn. And it's okay that you have made mistakes. It's okay that you're wrong, but you have to take it, and you have to turn that into positive energy. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me right now, that's what a story is. Um, But I think that that definition can change daily. (laughs) This whole thing makes me think about that... um... You know that famous World War II picture of the soldier kissing the nurse? Yes. Yeah. Oh, great picture. Great picture. Like, it's really just a absolutely stunning picture from a very intense time in history. And the irony behind it is the story that was behind it is completely false. Yeah. Like, the story that we assume is completely false. She was a dental hygienist mm-hmm. and was just on her way home from work. When a drunk soldier grabbed her and kissed her. Mm-hmm. And someone snapped a picture. Yep. And we've all looked at that and just put our own version of the story onto that picture. Whatever you want it to be, regardless yeah. of what it actually is. And I feel like John's essay does the same thing. Mm. Because even just the way where he was like, you know, you never actually knew that they took the elevator or the stairs. He's like, I'm, I'm, 
they took the elevator. Like, I just know. And it's like, no, but you don't. (laughs) Right, right. Right. Like, I mean, what's the point of telling a story if you have to diminish other stories in order to get there? Yeah. You know, like, it's it's like, it's kind of like, you know, people who use humor and their entire, you know, type of humor is, is, you know, at the expense of others. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it just doesn't seem, seems like you're taking four steps forward, four steps backward and one step forward here, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. What would you say... We're getting so existential on this on this episode today, but that's okay because a good play makes you do that. These are the best kinds of plays. They're my favorite to read. So yeah, I what what would you say? Because it's funny how we talked about like the idea of quote unquote my truth. Mm-hmm. Um, what is true for me in the moment? Um, how would you define a fact? Um. I don't know, something cemented in logic, in proof. Um, that's hard. That's that's really hard because I think that there are different kinds of facts, right? Like mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> we all know, We all know that to be fact. And why? Because you can look under a microscope and you can look at the science and you can read it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see for your fate, fa- like for a fact that it is, it is true. Example number two, coronavirus. It's not a hoax. It's just not. There's science it to prove it. Real it's, illness. <laughs> it is a real, it's a real thing. Um, and we have science that can prove that. Lots of science, lots of articles. But what else is true is your feelings and your ideas and your reactions to things, um, you know, a, a good example here is is like I've had this conversation with with some people in my life where I've said you don't have a good reaction to the things that are happening. You know, you said something and you expected it to be taken in a certain way, and it wasn't. And what you said hurt the other person's feelings, mm-hmm. whether you meant it to or not. The other person's feelings got hurt here. That is true. You know, and whether what you said was meant to hurt them or not, that is also true. Um, But nevertheless, they both can coexist and still be true. So I I don't know. I'm not sure that you 100% can prove every fact. Mm -hmm. That's that's a hard question. Um, What do you think? It's so complicated because even now as we're recording this, I'm like looking out at my backyard and I'm looking at this tree in front of me and fact would say the leaves on the tree are the color green. But some, for some people, that's not true. But for some people, that's not true. My brother's color deficient. Like the color that I see when I look at that tree is not the color he sees when he looks at that tree. But who decided that I'm right and he's wrong? Right. Also light in color in and of itself is just light reflected on different objects. So no matter where you are in the world, what angle you're looking at something at, you are never seeing the same exact color as somebody else. Never. So every single person on this planet is seeing a different color of everything at all times 
doesn't that just make you get a headache a little bit? <laughs> it, it literally makes it's one of the many things in life I just don't understand. Yeah, I just don't get it. I I just don't get it. Why don't why don't balloons get cold when you put them in the freezer for seventy two hours? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't why understand. Why doesn't alcohol freeze? Why doesn't alcohol freeze? How does electricity work? How, how like why how how does it work? How does Wi Fi work? I don't get it. I just don't and get even it. Even like all of the because as I've grown older, I feel like I'm I'm less likely to say no. That's not true. You know what I mean? Because, mm. like, there's so much that is undiscovered. There are still parts of our ocean that we haven't been to yet. That's there crazy. are creatures in our ocean that we we haven't identified them before. It's we don't insane. know where whales have their babies. Like, mm-hmm. certain whale breeds, we don't know. <laughs> so and if like, any of you are out there and you're also interested in where whales give birth, please uh, email us. Like, I found out the other day, hammerhead sharks are afraid of bubbles. What? I found that out the other day, and I was like, (laughs) how how have I spent my whole life not knowing that hammerhead sharks are afraid of bubbles? That's so funny. Oh, cute little hammerhead sharks. And even just, like, the idea of, because we talk about, like, you know, coronavirus is a real illness. We know that it exists. We have proof. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we think about, like, diet culture and, mm-hmm. and quote-unquote, health in terms of, like, what you should eat to be healthy. People are like, you should eat carbohydrates because your body needs them. And then other people are allergic to gluten and literally can't. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know shellfish is good for you. Is it good for me? No. I'll no. die. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And that didn't used to be a fact either. I used to be able to eat shellfish without dying. But now it is a fact that if I eat shellfish, I will die. Right. It's like so fast. It's so fascinating. I feel like that that question is a trick question because everything is a fact and nothing is a fact all at the same time. Oh, my gosh. This is this conversation is making my head hurt, but I appreciate (laughs) it. Okay, let's change topics. Let's change topics. Yes, Yes. Um. Let's see. What do I have here? Um, Oh, I love. So in this play, some of the descriptions here, as we kind of talked about earlier with the the integration of technology and stuff, there are parts of this script that are divided up where you can see what's being written um, through a screen that is presented in the theater somewhere. I love that. Um, I love that. And and the dialogue. Dialogue that is going on in their head, their internal monologue. And what I absolutely love about this is that one of the the things that you learn in acting school is that if you're going to do something, you need to actually do it. And there's a lot of things that I feel like, at least for me, I learned, quote unquote, in, in acting school that I went in thinking I already knew. You know, like I went in there and I was like, well, yeah, if I'm going to write something down on paper of course I'm going to actually write it. I'm not going to pretend to write it, you know, with a pencil and a paper and not actually write it. But then you get to it and you, you just don't write. And, um, and everybody's like, why aren't you, you know, doing it? You, you should be doing what you say you're doing. 
Um, and so what I love about the fact that you can see them typing everything out and hearing what's going on in their head is that it's forcing the actors to do the thing, which naturally I feel like is going to make them more engaged. And this happens in a pretty early part of the, the play, mm-hmm. really before any of the conflict actually starts. And it feels like a very public warm-up um, for the actor, um, kind of leading into that that moment of truth meeting John. Um, so I really liked that. I love that. I love when a, when a show, um, cause it's a really beautiful way. Like if you're ever trying to teach someone what subtext is, um, <laughs> to have like what the person wrote and hear out loud what they thought while they were writing it. Um, it's just a really, it's a, it's a wonderful I want to say it's a trope because it's really not a trope yet, but it's a lovely um, theatrical construct. Yeah. And I think like not only is it a good theatrical construct in the way that you're communicating that to your audience, but it's also a really good character building moment. Yeah, absolutely. Because we learn so much about Jim just from that. Like imagine, you know, the the first 30 minutes of the play weren't happening and we just started with that right like you would know everything you need to know about jim as a character Mm -hmm. just from that moment alone yeah absolutely which just shows then and there how great of a moment that is Mm -hmm. um how good of writing that is i also love with shows with a cast this small i really love shows with small casts yeah me too um obviously big cast shows are fun especially if you're the actor in them because it's a really great community. But like when you Mm. have the ability to just be on stage with like one or two other people for an hour and a half, really magical stuff can happen. Um, And you see that a lot in a play like this because it is a theatrical dramatic argument. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear in terms of the way this is set up. And I think like what makes... Like, the strength behind this play is the simplicity of it. Yeah. It's, you wrote this thing, and this thing isn't factual. But it is to me. (laughs) Right. And that, right there, you have 90 minutes of drama. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, that is, it's, it's fantastic. It's, um, like you said, I mean, there's so much you can do with small, with casts so small, Mm -hmm. um, it just really, I feel like it really widens the things that you can write about. It gives me, this play overall gives me very Oleana by David Mamet vibes. Um, Just because Oleana by David Mamet is is also, it's a two-person play, um, also talking about what is true and what's not, um, but Mm -hmm. under very different circumstances. Um, And I feel like that's a fascinating topic for, for these kinds of plays because these two, three, four person plays are um, are the ones that get you thinking the most as an audience member. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're the plays that really, you know, get those gears turning in your head, asking questions like, "What is story for you?" You know, yeah. <laughs> what is what is a fact? What is true? What's not? Well, how do you have, you know, the justification to tell me what's true and what's not? Um, it's just fascinating. Yeah. 
And especially too, as we as we are entering a digital digital world, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, um, because I feel like we have a tendency to view groups of people as a monolith, mm. and we lose sight of the intricacies, and specifically in a time of global disaster we forget um you know truly like how many lives are being affected like our brains really can't comprehend it um there's a museum i forget where but it's a holocaust museum and there's a room that you go into and you just see a bunch of stars and all the stars represent lives that were lost Mm. and there was that, I believe it was in New York Times, they had that picture of just a bunch of dots and all of the dots represented lives yeah. that were lost to COVID. Yeah. Oh, that was a hard one. And our brains cannot comprehend that many people, that many situations. So as a society, we try to group things because it's easier for our brains to comprehend. Right. And we go, well, everyone feels this way. Mm. Or everyone in this group feels this way. And we lose sight of, like, maybe there is just one simple hang-up that would cause someone not to move from green to orange. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I feel like, weirdly enough, I was just thinking about something like this the other day. And I don't, I think it was, it's because we were talking about, um, weirdly enough my mom and I were talking about uh the date of the 11th of every month there's just a lot of stuff happening on the 11th of the upcoming months ahead for me and my life and um and so it got me thinking about 9-11 um and I was thinking about how you know so many people died that day and I feel like I owe it to all of them to remember everybody's name because they, their stories, their lives are just as important as mine. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we group it together because it's just too many and it's too tragic and there's too much happening for us to, to be able to do that. But in a way, weirdly, in my brain, makes me feel guilty. Like I am, I'm not giving them the respect that they deserve for this horrific accident tragedy Mm -hmm. that happened to them um because it's too much for me it makes me feel like I'm saying out loud that their lives aren't worth remembering which is not true obviously um Mm -hmm. but it's the same thing with the coronavirus you know I feel I feel the same way like no nobody asked to get it nobody has to die from it um and their stories are worth remembering and they deserve to be remembered. So yeah. Interesting that you point that out. It makes me think a lot about um, the part where they're talking about the five, four, three, two, one in terms of the Mm -hmm. rhythm of the piece. Mm -hmm. And he says the last suicide you talked about, they also jumped off a building and he goes, yeah, but I couldn't have more than one person jump off a building for story. Right. Cause it doesn't make for a good story. And that broke me a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
just that was the worst part of reading this for me too yeah it's a really sad thing to think about yeah um that like your your life can be edited to suit someone else's purpose right and i think part of life is coming to terms with that like i know for a fact that i'm the villain in someone else's story right or i know that i'm the mean girl or the reason someone had a bad day right and that's really hard to think about because i i never want to be that person but there are some situations where it is inevitable yeah and i think like i It's that it's that hard balance between being optimistic and realistic and idealistic. Mm. Because am I a bad person if I acknowledge that it's inevitable or do I constantly fight every like what what is moral at that point? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because I can't go back and change the times that I've been a villain in someone else's story. Um and like that, that is hard to come to terms with that there are like some things in our lives, things that we've committed that we will never get forgiveness for. Yeah. Wow. This is a good play. I will reiterate. Yeah. <laughs> that this is a really no, good play. No, you know, this, this conversation that we're having right now is truly the highest of compliments I feel like for this play, mm-hmm. um, because I think I could be wrong, but I think that the sole purpose of this play is to make you think, um, yes. and to make you question everything, um, and ask yourself why you're questioning everything. Um, yeah. so the fact that we're talking about all of these different things and we are questioning ourselves and what we're thinking, that means that this play has done exactly what it set out to do. Um, and it has accomplished it with such high marks that not only are we having this conversation after reading it, but we're recording it so that we can continue that conversation with all of you. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think that that pretty much says all you need to know about how, how well written this play is, um, and what a good job it does. In, in terms of something that's a little more concrete, if you were to direct us, what would you do with it? All right. Um, do you think that I would do this in, in uh, Persinium? I don't know. I feel like I, my gut is saying I feel like you do it in the round. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why. I, I actually, I would not do it in the round, but really? I would want to do it in a black box. Okay. I want to do it in a black box with three quarters thrust. And the okay. reason being is because obviously, like, this is under the highest of budgets that I could ever ask for. (laughs) Um, But I would want, just like you said earlier, as minimal of a set as possible, because I really think that it's clear that there are so many details and there's so much in the writing here that you have to let the writing speak for itself. And I don't want anything getting in the way of that. Mm -hmm. Just don't want anything getting in the way. So, um, you know, weirdly enough, I kind of want to see some like movement in this piece in parts of it like like some devising stuff yeah like maybe some devising um maybe some signature like specific character mannerisms for each one um 
each person so so that you can kind of get a little bit more subtext in there about who they are as people. Um, and yeah, with the world's largest budget, what I would inevitably want would be like TVs, computer monitors, cell phones mm-hmm. surrounding the theater, you know, almost encapsulating it on all sides of, of the audience. Um, and I want each television, computer, TV to be connected to the main one that's happening with the actors so that, for example, if the theater, you know, I'm picturing, you know, the the one that is in our, our school just because it's the easiest black box to, to think of, mm-hmm. um, you know, having maybe 15 cell phones on each wall that every time a text message comes up, something like that, and the actor receives it on stage, it's connected to all of the others oh um, so that the audience members can... You know, if they, like, can't hear or they can't see or whatever, they literally can look to their left and the cell phone with the text message would just show up right there for them to read um, and then would go black when that is over. Same with computer monitors, televisions, when anything is happening and then having an, a separate email text tone for each character so you know who it's going to and who it's coming from. That's so cool. Um, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, costumes. Thinking like Wall Street, you know, mm-hmm. this is an upscale, uh, the highest magazine you could really ever get in New York City. So I'd, I'd almost love to see every single person since this play takes place over the span of like five days. Um, I would love to see each character change between days with the exception of Jim. <laughs> I, I like weird yeah i like weirdly don't want jim to change at all because this is a, just gets a little more distressed it just gets as... yes exactly exactly ty comes undone a little bit more you know like his hair gets greasier each day um just because i think you know they they say in here that the essay that has been written is i think like 13 pages something like that yeah it's like 15 pages 15 pages and jim writes 130 pages of notes <laughs> on on it and that is a very kate fitzpatrick thing to do that is <laughs> um, so i feel i feel like um i would want I, I would want him to not really change so that we can see how hard he's been working through all of that um how about you so my concept has changed about mm. five times throughout this last conversation um so <laughs> Honestly, I I would really like it to be in a very industrial looking theater. Like I would really mm-hmm. like um something like the Denizen Theater in New Paltz that has mm-hmm. that very like found space energy to it. Um this honestly would be a really good show for them to do. But anyway, if you're listening, uh, if you're listening, <laughs> I would love to see it. <laughs> and then um I'd want the three-quarter thrust. I'd want just desk picture frame couch. Mm-hmm. And I would want projected on the back the article as it starts mm. at the beginning of the um, show. And then as as um, Jim finds things that are wrong with it, you'll see parts are deleted and then the factual information is put in. Um, and as the conversation is going on specifically between Jim and John, you'll see things being deleted and added back in and copy and paste and, you know, just Ooh, like absolute that. madness as the scenes get more intense. Um, yeah, that's my basic concept. Yeah. Oh, I love that. 
I love the fact that in your concept you can see it getting edited as it goes. I feel like that's a really cool uh, thing to add in there, um, especially because it changes so much. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in this in this dream situation, in in all of the fantasy you could ever have, who are your your leading players? So Jim came to me first. Okay, mind you, I read this play at like six in the morning the other day. <laughs> <laughs> And let me pull up my notes. Hold up. Okay. So Jim would be played by Ben Feldman. Um, Who is that? He, so most people would know him from the show Superstore. He plays Jonah. But I was a big Drop Dead Diva fan back in like middle school, early high school. And he played um, the angel on that, the guardian angel character, Fred. And I'll be honest, I've been in love with him ever since. (laughs) (laughs) That's all that it did for you. He played he's Fred. Literally, you said? he's so talented. Fred, you said. Fred, um, yes. His name is Ben Feldman, and he's very good. And I can see him playing. He also so reminds familiar. me a lot of Daniel Radcliffe, so I feel like this would be a very fitting part for him. Um, mm. and then for Emily, it's a little out there, but I would love to have Jamila Jamil play Emily. Ooh, oh, I like that choice. Just because she's so prim and straight lace yeah but she's such a real woman yeah and if you I haven't listened Emily to her podcast you should character. um you definitely should listen to jamila Jamil's podcast it's incredible i love her i i yeah, love specifically incredible. if any of you listen to getting curious with jonathan van ness she does a great <laughs> another great podcast <laughs> yeah it, that's it's a good one so too. good and she's just like when i think about the fact that the good place was her first acting gig i'm like get out of town <laughs> yeah i know get out of town girlfriend yeah yeah um and then last but not least john the only person that felt right um is thomas sadowski do you know him no i don't okay so thomas sadowski a lot of people would know him because he's married to amanda seyfried but he was in the newsroom okay and he played don and I saw him, I've told you about this play before because I talk about it all the time. I saw him in a production of White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, mm-hmm. and it was straight up the best theater experience I've ever had in my life. Oh, I love that. It I was, love good theatrical experiences. It was truly like, not just a good theatrical experience, like a good life experience. Like I will never forget about this show ever. Oh, um, and he was- Those are the best pieces of theater he was absolutely stellar in that and I would love to because honestly like for me my instinct is to be drawn to Jim because he's very much like our protagonist and we don't really get Mm. to meet John until later so I feel like John has to be charismatic Mm -hmm. um and Mm. Thomas Sadowski is charismatic yeah 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 yeah. oh good choices so yeah that's my very well thought out I feel very passionately about that. <laughs> please, someone make this happen. Producers, if you're listening, <laughs> if please you're listening. make this production happen. I might oh, be the only so one funny. buying tickets, but I will buy all no, of them. No, <laughs> I'll buy tickets. There will be two patrons, maybe more. But we'll buy out the theater for you. You'll get all the money. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, that's awesome. Um. I have, I have a couple that are, like, pretty... One of them I already mentioned, which is Jim... And my my ideal would be, like, a very young Jim Parsons. Um, I just feel like he has a lot of... Um, I feel like he has a lot of that type A energy. 
mm-hmm. that Jim's character has, but in a more like realistic version. And maybe this is solely because of the last five years, but I have Jeremy Jordan down as well in the role of Jim. Oh, okay. Um, because Jeremy Jordan, I think it's because he plays a writer in the last five years. <laughs> and so I just can picture Jeremy Jordan in like the role of an editor. Yeah. Um, I also just have strong belief in him as an actor um, that he would do a good job with this role. Cause I His really character think... on Supergirl is very like close to this character. Oh, really? Yeah. I really like, just think he's a great actor. He's yeah, he's solid. Yeah, I just think he's phenomenal. Um, so I feel like he could really do that justice. Um, for Emily here, I've got again dream version, but a very not like much younger, but a little bit younger. Um, Meryl Streep. Oh, I love Meryl. Just I feel like <laughs> she would have that Devil Wears Prada energy that she can bring into that role of Emily, and it would just be fantastic. Um, But this last one is the one that I'm the most passionate about. And that would be John. And I have Joe Montanga uh, as John. Do you know who Joe Joe Montanga is? He is... Do you watch Criminal Minds? I have seen bits and pieces. Well, um, he's an actor on Criminal Minds. um, But he is also a patron of the theater. And he has oh, done quite okay. a bit of stuff. He was in Hair. Um, Wait, who does he play on Criminal Minds? He is um, Agent Rossi. Okay, he's not the one I was thinking of. Never mind. <laughs> but I think I know. I think I know because I saw the Hair revival clips. I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He's um, He has great, like, poker face energy. Um that I think would go really well with this character. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's what I've got. What time is it? It's summertime. It's <laughs> vacation. It is um call to action. Call to action. What time is it? Time about call to life. action. <laughs> <laughs> School's out. Call to action. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what calls to action do you have for this play? My call to action is for people to think very sincerely about why they're putting media into the world and why. Mm-hmm. But also not to be so guarded that they disconnect from people. Because it's all about that balance, right? Like, one one text to someone can be a game changer. One sentence in a card can be the reason somebody keeps going. Um, so... That's a very complicated um, balance to find, but, and it's one I'm currently trying to find in myself. Like, I'm like, what kind of presence do I want to have? Whether it's on social media or at work or et cetera, like what, (sighs) what kind of person am I presenting to the world and why? What about you, Katie? That is a a deep one, Julia. Um, 
Yeah, I feel like, honestly, I haven't really thought about that much recently. I feel like I've been so, as I think quite a few of us have been, trying to get back into the routine of our lives as this pandemic is, you know, we're starting to see the days become a bit more numbered here, um, that I feel like I haven't really been thinking about how I am being perceived in the world or the Mm -hmm. kind of energy that I've been putting out. And instead I've been focusing a lot on my internal energy and the energy that I feel within and how I'm treating myself. Um, But I feel like that's a really important one um, because it doesn't necessarily matter what people think, but it does matter the way that you want people to think weirdly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I took a quote here from the play that I read and was like, whoa, that is relevant. (laughs) That is relevant. I think I know which quote it's going (laughs) to be. And it is, quote, I have been here for who knows how long, and I have seen that the right story at the right time changes the way people look at the events in their own lives. This is the right time, and I depend on you to get the story right. Now go get it done. End quote. Was that the quote you're talking about? No. Oh. Actually. Do you want to know what quote I was thinking about? Yeah, I do. What were you thinking about? Facts privilege some people, other people they fuck over. I think I almost wrote that one down, too. Um, Both of them are along the same veins here, though. Yeah. You know, um, as of this recording... uh, on on uh, April 20th of 2021 at 6.30 p.m., um, there has been some justice, not all justice, but some justice um, to the absolute brutal murder um, of George Floyd. And I feel like there's a lot that's happening right now. There yeah. is Black Lives Matter. There is the Asian hate and all of the Asian hate crimes that have been going around. There's our own industry of Broadway and Mm -hmm. the events that are happening with Scott Rudin and all of the other producers who have taken advantage. Injustice against indigenous people. Yes, injustice against indigenous people. There's the work where there's so much to do and so much that we need Mm -hmm. to work on. And, you know, as terrible as it is to say a year and a half later, the pandemic itself is still something that people aren't, you know, really getting behind to be a fact. And if there's ever been a more important time to tell the truth and get the story right, it is now. We are living in a time of change. We are living in a revolution of change, of Mm -hmm. positive momentum and positive change. Um, and I feel like I, you know, I've heard, I, I read something somewhere recently where they were talking about how, you know, as you're young, you know, you think that you're the most progressive and you're the Mm -hmm. most incredible, you know, kind of group of people to walk across the planet. And you just keep saying, well, we just have to wait until the racism dies out or we have to wait until all the bad stuff, you know, dies out. And then, you know, and then it'll be a peaceful place. And History has shown us over and over and over again that that is not true and Mm -hmm. that um, progress continues to happen whether you're looking or not. And so, you know, now is the time for us to stand up and myself to stand up for everything 
for the things that are right, getting the story right. So, you know, my call to action here is to remind myself that it is a privilege to learn about discrimination than experience it firsthand. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done that in a lot of things that are happening right now. I have been so fortunate to have not experienced it and to be reading about it and learning about it. Um, and I feel so sad and, and I have so much hurt for those who have had to go through it. Um, you know, so we have to just do what we can in this case, you know, for me, it's donating, peacefully protesting for what's right, for what I believe to be right, believing people, using my own voice to speak up for those who have, you know, voices who've been silenced. And, you know, I think at least for me, the truth about theater is that we are given this lovely platform to be able to talk about these things. And not everybody is given a platform like a stage to be Mm -hmm. able to talk about these things. So we have it and I think we should use it. Um, At least that's the kind of art that I want to be making is the art that is going to, you know, open up that conversation to learning and growing and doing the best that we can moving forward. Um, And what goes along with that is researching, researching everything. And that kind of is my second call to action is just researching everything and being aware that the media influences everything in our Mm -hmm. lives. It influences everything, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, how we style our hair, how we get to work, how we come home, what kind of job you should have, how many kids you should have, if you should have kids, like it influences everything in our lives. Um, And it is rarely the true story. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, my second call to action is to take what I hear and take it everything with a grain of salt and do my own research and then make my own conclusions from there to the best of my ability. I love that. That actually made me think of another call to action that yeah. is kind of a, a de- not a departure, but a, you know, kind of a branch off of that, which is... Yeah. If you are a person who has privilege and you are in a room, any room, whether it's a creative team room or, you know, it's just your your day job, be an advocate for the voice that's missing. Yeah. And I feel like often, especially in the age of social media, a lot of people who are trying to be allies take it upon themselves to be judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. Whether it's tearing someone down online or, you know, harassing people in a social media space because they want to see justice. And I would argue that the most effective way to see justice is to hold the systems at hand, like our judicial system, like our, you know, policing system, hold those systems accountable, make sure that they because it's not your job to do their job. It's your job to use your voice to make sure that the job is being done effectively mm-hmm. and it's not being discriminatory. Um, I love the way you put that. Yeah. Because oftentimes, because here's the thing, and a lot of people forget about this. When you call someone out on social media, if you are not backed up by anything, it's hearsay. Mm-hmm. And in the term of legality, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It can't be seen as fact in terms of 
the judicial process. And so many people have taken it upon themselves to harass someone off the internet or to target people on the internet in in the name of justice, in the name of, you know, trying to do the right thing. And I think, like, we, as people with privilege, need to take a step back, sit down and listen. And if you are in a room where you see a voice missing, speak to that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you say, hey, we're including a deaf character in this in this show, shouldn't we have a deaf writer in the room? Mm-hmm. I mean, even, like, we saw an example of that in The Mandalorian, they wanted to use sign language, and someone in the room said, I know a person who is yeah. an expert who can help us. I mean, yeah. even when they were doing... Um, the Glee project and Ali Stoker was a contestant. There was mm-hmm. a point where they were talking about the judging system. And I think it was like Diana Agron who was like, Ali Stroker can bring so much to a character in a wheelchair that an able cast member cannot. Right. It's a whole different experience. It's a whole different experience. And even if, you know, there was nothing accomplished in that casting room that, was you know considered to be progress at least there was a voice and there was a chance yeah because eventually if you keep asking and you keep suggesting and you keep advocating someone will listen yes there's always somebody listening doesn't always fall on deaf ears um yeah wow well that was a that was a big one julia this was a, I need to have a cup of coffee after this. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know about you. I need to have a drink, an alcoholic beverage, because <laughs> I am over the age of 21. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, Julia, do you want to um, say anything else to our listeners? Um, first of all, I want to say thank you, because especially after our last episode, all of you have been really engaging and, and being so supportive. And um, we, we want to hear from you. We want to know if perhaps there's a special guest you want us to reach out to, or if there's a play you want us to read, we, we want to include media and plays that make you happy. So please, like if you're on our Instagram or on our email, just send us your play suggestions. We would love to know anything you have to say or if you have thoughts about these plays, tell us. We want to know. We want to have a conversation about it. So um, that that's what I would say. Our call to action for you is, you know, <laughs> if you want to, um, you know, even if you you listen to this and you're like, I have a call to action too, send it to us. We want to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's all I wanted and, to say. And just kind of to, uh, to, to jump off of that, um, just to advertise it here, we've, we've advertised it a couple times on our public platforms, but... Um, for making it to the end of the episode, we'll, we'll add another one in here, which is that we are actually looking for another member on our Playdate team uh, here. We are looking for a social media manager um, for our, our team because uh, it's just kind of gotten to the point where we have a little bit too much on our plates uh, between Julia and I. And uh, 
we we love teamwork and we love working with other people. That's why we majored in theater. <laughs> so we uh, we would love to, um, you know, add somebody onto the team who's just as passionate as we are about plays and theater and making positive change. Um, so if you are interested, regardless of experience, um, you can always shoot us an email at playdatepodcast uh, at podcastplaydate at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, visit us on our Instagram. You can shoot us a DM, um, you know, and and we would love to to hear from you. And thank you, as Julia said. Yes, thank you for all the wonderful feedback. Yeah, we love you, our sweet leading players. We our really sweet, do. Our sweet leading players, yes. Um, but I think that is about a wrap. So have a lovely week and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's Playdate. You can follow us on Instagram at playdate.podcast for updates, giveaways, and more fun stuff. Our cover art was designed by Levi Denton Hughes. Our sound engineer is Aaron Fern. And our theme music was composed and recorded by Mickey Wadsworth. I'm Julia. And I'm Kate. Keep playing. Keep playing.